Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, you can also listen live across the Faith Radio Network Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central or 12 Eastern for the entire hour. And if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. And Merry Christmas to one and all. This is your host, Jeremiah. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. This is week two of a very special series that we began broadcasting called Unanswered Lasting Truth for Trending Questions. This is a book, Bible study, and video series uh, that came together in the most organic way possible over several years of preaching and teaching in churches and universities my wife Audrey and I would always encourage the audience to text me their unanswered questions. And friends, I have received over 10,000 text messaged questions. Well, we aggregated those thousands of questions into the most frequently asked questions. And I felt led of the Holy Spirit to write a book that became a Bible study with our good friends at Lifeway and then a video Bible study series. And here's the cool thing about today's broadcast. You're going to get to hear the audio message that goes along with one of those trending questions. And so uh, welcome aboard. If this is the first time you've ever been part of this show, this is a great show where we explore the deep questions of the Christian life. We answer with simple language because guess what? Smart people are able to communicate in simple ways that everyone can understand. And the cool thing about the Bible is it takes these complex questions, but it makes the answers accessible and understandable and get this applicable to all of our lives. And that's what we endeavor to do on this show. That's what this show is all about. Really, it's interactive. You drive the content of the show by the amount of questions that we continue to receive. Now, today we have a very special broadcast. This is Body of Proof. Evidence for the Bodily Resurrection of Jesus. Let me tee it up this way. I was contacted by Sam Roberts, an obituary writer for the New York Times. What an interesting request. He asked me, as a New Testament scholar, I did my Ph.D. on the resurrection of Jesus, to help him write Jesus' obituary. Think about that for a moment. This happened over Easter weekend. What would Jesus' obituary look like if he died in modern day and his obituary was carried in the New York Times? And so I gave my perspective from a scholarly standpoint. Keep in mind, I did a 95,000-word thesis on the, on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. That article was later carried in Vanity Fair with this title, Jesus of Nazareth whose messianic message captivated thousands, dies at about A.D. 33. It's a fascinating thing. I'd encourage you to check it out. This message today is all about equipping you as a Christian to be able to speak in an articulate and an informed way about the single most important historical event in history and in your life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me equip you today with the most important, latest, current evidences for why we believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Stay with us. We live in a culture that is fascinated and entertained by the notion of the dead rising. 
zombies, walkers, the undead. These have never been more popular or profitable. Some of the highest rated television shows of all time focus on dead bodies coming back to life. One example would be AMC's hit show, The Walking Dead, which drew more than 15 million regular viewers. That's a larger audience than the World Series or NBA Finals. Doesn't stop there. The Wall Street Journal recently reported that it's now possible to earn a PhD in zombie studies. A PhD in zombies. I want to make a striking comparison. To our modern mind, the dead rising is intriguing, even entertaining. However, in the first century world, the idea of a bodily resurrection was unheard of in Roman circles. Romans of the first century viewed resurrection as gross, even disgusting. So here's a key point. The early church could not have picked a more difficult place to start than proclaiming their Savior had died and risen from the dead bodily. The only reason they proclaimed it and they died preaching about it was because the bodily resurrection actually happened. Let's turn to the body of proof, if you will, the evidence for the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to be back in 90 seconds to continue this message, Body of Proof, Evidence for the Bodily Resurrection of Jesus. You're listening to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. And again, Merry Christmas to all. We're going right back to my message, Body of Proof, Evidence for the Bodily Resurrection of Jesus Christ. The claim that Jesus was truly resurrected assumed a heavy burden of proof. What persuaded Jesus' followers to speak of resurrection was their conviction that Jesus had died, had been buried in a known place, and had exited that place. These factors, in combination with the appearances, convinced his followers that Jesus was indeed the bodily resurrected Messiah. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the seminal issue for the church today, just as it was that first Easter morning in the first century. The resurrection is the bottom line. If the resurrection did not happen, Christianity is a waste of time. That's why Bible studies like this one are so important. If I were a critic of Christianity, the most difficult problem would be coming up with an adequate reason for why there were any Christians in the first place. I mean, think about it for a moment. Their founder was a crucified criminal. Crucifixion, of course, considered empire-wide to be the most heinous and shameful way to die. We learn in the Gospels that Jesus' followers had even given up hope. Do you remember that passage, I think, of Luke chapter 24, verse 21, on the road to Emmaus? Jesus' followers said in the past tense, we had hoped he was the one with a total note of defeat. And on top of that, proclaiming that his body was resurrected. The early Christian movement should have died, but it didn't. Why? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have great news for you today. Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he lives. And there are great evidences for that belief. No greater words were ever spoken than when Jesus Christ said in John 14:19, because I live, you will live also. And news this good should influence every aspect of our faith and every aspect of our life right now. 
The New Testament, of course, was originally written in Greek, and there are around 138,000 words in the Greek New Testament. Paul, of course, writes 13 of the 27 New Testament books, and he contributes 32,407 words to the New Testament, a significant contribution. But think about it for a moment. Do you remember what Paul said was the single most important thing in all of his writings? In 1 Corinthians 15:3, the Apostle Paul tells us that the issue of Jesus's bodily resurrection was a matter of first importance first. It had first place. The bodily resurrection of Jesus was the salient issue of the faith. The early Christian movement impacted every community because it was resurrection-centric, which leads to our first principle. Number one, we must recover a resurrection-centric faith. How many sermons have you heard in the last year on the subject of the bodily resurrection of Jesus? When I speak in churches, the most frequent answer I receive is A, they can't remember the last time they heard a sermon on the resurrection of Jesus, or B, outside of an occasional Easter Sunday morning or funeral message, the resurrection is rarely referenced. We have the smartest church members of all time sitting in our pews. We have the most educated followers of Jesus, and yet there is still a general ignorance on the matter of why we believe the resurrection of Jesus is a fact from history. I regularly teach master's students, Christianity majors, and many of them get that deer-in-the-headlights look with me when I ask them for the evidential basis for why they believe a dead man came back to life 2,000 years ago. So as followers of Jesus, we have to prepare ourselves to explain that Jesus' resurrection is not a myth, a legend, a fairy tale, but rather it is in fact a datum of historical fact. One newspaper recently headlined, Easter Sunday is the Super Bowl of church attendance. Do you know more people attend church on Easter Sunday than even watch the Super Bowl? And yet so few Christians are able to give a compelling answer for why they know Jesus rose from the grave. So what is the best evidence? Most Christians have never gone deeper than their elementary Sunday school learning when it comes to the principal points of the faith. Is the resurrection true just because the Bible tells me so? Belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus was the driving force behind the growth and the expansion of the early church from 120 people in the upper room to a movement that by the time it had reached Greece and Thessalonica, the church had, do you remember what Acts 17.6 says? Turn the world upside down. Every single sermon recorded in the book of Acts discusses the resurrection of Jesus. It was a resurrection-centric faith. Think about the book of Romans, regarded as the most important piece of literature in history, the most significant book ever written. Martin Luther had his personal awakening while reading Romans that led to a reformation throughout the entire church. In the opening verses of Romans, Paul gloriously states that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. To the Philippians, Paul said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead, Philippians 3.10. Over two dozen times, more than any other promise in the New Testament for the believer, is the promise that we will together be raised with Jesus. The bodily resurrection of Jesus guarantees our future bodily resurrection. They are inseparably linked. 
Only because of the resurrection could Paul say to the Colossian church, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. So do you possess a resurrection-centric faith? Number two, we need to refresh our minds with the evidence for a resurrection-centric faith. When we study the resurrection of Jesus and our own bodily resurrection, it brings great personal renewal into our spiritual lives. It renews you and it gives you a confidence to face the tribulations and the troubles of life. Refreshing our minds with the evidence brings renewal into our hearts. Unlike any other religion, Christianity put itself to the historical test through explicit interaction with history in the Roman Empire of the first century. Many often miss this point. No other religion comes close to Christianity in that you can test it against history. The evidence is overpowering that the main appeal to Christianity in the first few centuries of the church, the reason the church was so attractive to the Mediterranean world, was its confident attitude towards death and the expectation that all these Christians had of resurrection. From the earliest days, Christians, following in the example of their founder, valued the personal survival of every individual, all life, the elderly, the young, the marginalized, the handicapped. The church believed all were made in the image of God, Genesis 1.27. I want to make sure you understand the context. Did you know, according to a recent study, our life expectancy is at an all-time high right now? Life expectancy in the United States averages 79 years of age. Again, that's an all-time high. In the Roman Empire of Jesus' day, life expectancy was quite the opposite. Christianity emerged in the first century world, a world of great suffering and death. Life expectancy in the time of Jesus in the early church averaged just 20 years of age. That's right, 20. In the Roman Empire, it's estimated that on any given day, approximately 25% of the population was ill, injured, dying, or in some way in need of medical attention. Most of the empire was starving to death. In the first century world of Jesus, you didn't get three meals per day. If you were lucky, you had two meals. Infant mortality was as high as 30%. Only 50% of the children lived to their fifth birthday. Only 40% of the population got to age 20. Females was even worse. Their average life expectancy, just 26 years of age, eight years less than males because so many died in childbearing. Romans usually waited eight or nine days to name their children. Why? Well, they might not want that child, especially if it was a female. Exposure of infants was commonplace. No one cared if you killed your baby, especially if it was deformed or had a handicap. Why did this custom change? A resurrected man from Nazareth said, let the children come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Consider the effects the brevity of life had on Roman society. Romans could expect to die at an age when we today expect to begin our adult lives. Then comes a miracle worker from Galilee. Of him it's reported in Luke 7:22, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Is it any wonder massive crowds flock to hear Jesus of Nazareth? Wow, Jesus of Nazareth comes on the scene and he is speaking of a new kind of life, a resurrection abundant life. That message was relevant and it was powerful to the first century in ways we can't even imagine today. 
The earliest Christians came up with a new word for their burial grounds. In the Greek, it's koimeterion. You know it. In English, it transliterates cemetery. This was a descriptive Christian word reflecting an explicit Christian belief in bodily resurrection. This is in stark contrast to the city of Rome, where signs were actually posted instructing people not to dump corpses in public. 1,500 corpses per year in the city of Rome were unclaimed. The poor, slaves, and childless women were buried in mass graves, always to be forgotten. You can see why Christian belief in caring for the body, even in death, attracted so many new followers. Of course, Christianity was illegal until the 4th century, so Christians went underground to build these vast burial chambers that they called the catacombs. Perhaps you, like me, have toured the catacombs in Rome. Did you know nearly a million Christians in Rome were buried together underground in the span of only 150 years? Resurrection was also the driving force behind the origin of Christian art. The Christian catacombs, those cemeteries underground in Rome, became the first Christian art galleries. Inscriptions, symbols like the cross, a dove, a fish, these creative illustrations of Christ as a shepherd, they were incised throughout the catacomb walls. Often the Greek word for fish, ichthus, was used as an acrostic to commemorate resurrection belief. Jesus, Christ, God, Son, Savior. When you think of the great works of Christian art, think of The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci, or the creation of Adam by Michelangelo, or the Madonna by Raphael, priceless works. I want you to remember that Christian art originated in burial grounds known by a new term, cemeteries, utterly influenced by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This week in your personal time in the Bible study, you're gonna study more evidence of how we know the resurrection of Jesus actually happened based on the historical evidence. The resurrection of Jesus is not merely a matter of blind faith. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are careful to record the many convincing proofs, as Acts 1-3 says, evidencing the bodily resurrection of Jesus. The mission of this Bible study is for you to be in a position to say exactly what Luke said to begin his gospel. After carefully investigating everything from the beginning, that's Luke 1-4, he said that it is possible for you to have a certainty about your Christian faith. Not a once-per-year gloss over of the resurrection, but a certainty that energizes your entire life. Number three, I must recommit to live the mission of resurrection faith now and be resurrection-centric with all the problems and difficulties of my life. We should always pay attention to the word therefore when we study the Bible. It's a great hermeneutical principle. It means everything written before that word was laying the groundwork for an important point, therefore. In 1 Corinthians 15, after 57 magnificent verses proclaiming the fact of the resurrection of Jesus and our personal bodily resurrection, Paul says, beginning at verse 58, therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, 
always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul says that the truth of the bodily resurrection of Jesus will make you strong. It will make you immovable, steadfast. You know, we have too many Christians in retreat mode. We need to be strong. God needs some Christians who will say, God, I'll take that hill for you. Not only does the resurrection make us strong, the scripture says in verse 58, it makes us unshakable. Paul uses that word immovable. No matter what life throws at you, we cannot become discouraged. The resurrection promises us that God is in the business of bringing new beginnings. We serve a God of second chances, the third chance, the fourth chance, the fifth chance. Perhaps you're listening to this message and you're in need of a do-over, a second chance, a redo in life. Do you know the resurrection proves that God is in the business of great comebacks? You might have lost your job. God can bring you a new beginning. Be strong, be immovable. Perhaps your marriage is in trouble. The resurrection shows us that God loves flawed, ordinary people. Perhaps you've experienced the loss of a loved one or a child. Our family and closest friends who have died as followers of Jesus, the Bible promises, are more alive today than they ever were on earth. Thanks to the resurrection of Jesus, Christians are promised that the best is yet to come, and death is only the beginning, not the ending. That's why the Apostle Paul tells the Thessalonian Christians who had lost their loved ones, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, yes, we grieve. It's that word ache. We ache thinking about the loved ones we've lost, but we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Why? Because the resurrection promises we will be reunited. I can be strong. I can be steadfast. I can be immovable, unshakable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that my labor is not in vain. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have to decide together to recommit to live the mission of the resurrection now and be resurrection-centric with the problems and the difficulties in our life. Let me ask you as we close, is the resurrection the harmonizing factor of your life? It can be. The resurrection changes everything. And stay with us. This is Jeremiah. We're going to be back after this 90-second break with our power teaching moment. I'm going to teach you how to immediately use the apologetic that you just listened to and how you can use that right now in the own power of your personal testimony and witness. Back in 90 seconds. Stay with us. Welcome back to the program. This is your host, Jeremiah Johnston. We have been in the midst of this series called Unanswered Lasting Truth for Trending Questions. And this is the Power Teaching segment. And I want to invite you into my world for a moment because there was a time where I had to stand at the highest levels to defend why I believed in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. Well, in December of 2012 in Oxford, England, there I was on a frigid December evening and a gentleman uh, had taken the train from where he is a professor, and he was coming to examine me. I was standing to give my viva, my external defense, my vocal defense of my Ph.D. thesis. Now, I had written a 95,000-word thesis 
on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. It was later published in a monograph, an academic series called Jewish and Christian Texts uh, that has an editor by the name of James Charlesworth, who sits in Bruce Metzger's old chair at Princeton. Um, and there I am in the intellectual Jerusalem, as it were, of, of Oxford, England. And friends, everything rises or falls on this moment. For those of you that have done a Ph.D. in the United Kingdom, you know what I mean. Um, there, it's just it's pass or fail. There are no do overs. And if you fail at the Ph.D. in which you're pursuing in the United Kingdom, you can never do it over again in that discipline in that country. So. Let me tell you something. You better be ready when you come to that moment when you're ready to give your defense, your examination. That's why it's such a big deal to pass your viva. Well, there I was. 95,000 words had been written. It all came down to this moment. Do you want to know what the first question was that I was asked in my Ph.D. defense by the gentleman, the professor, the expert who was cross-examining me? He said, Jeremiah, I have one question as we begin the defense. Do you actually believe that Jesus was physically bodily resurrected from the dead or and he began to kind of nod his head and kind of smile at me. He's a very nice chap. Or do you just see that as, you know, imaginative storytelling by the gospel writers? Friends, I paused and I just sensed the Holy Spirit inside me and he gave me peace. And I looked and I said the professor's name, William Telford. I said, Professor Telford, Thank you for that question. The evidence leads me to believe beyond any shadow of a doubt, the best explanation for what happened at that tomb and that on that April Sunday morning was that, yes, Jesus physically bodily rose from the grave. And I stopped talking. He paused. There was silence. And then he said, well, Jeremiah, I don't see it that way. Let's start your defense. Well, two and a half hours later, Professor Telford passed me actually with commendation in my viva defense. But isn't that interesting? Even at the highest levels, I had a professor who didn't see it that way. He didn't believe in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. And that was my moment to share why I believed that and then defend it with the evidence. And friends, you may not be in Oxford defending your faith. It might be over at a soccer practice or it might be with your relatives over the holidays, which can be so challenging. I pray that you will make a commitment based on this broadcast and what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you to do, to do exactly what we learned in the previous segment, to have a resurrection-centric faith, to own your faith, to allow the power of the resurrection of Jesus, even at Christmas time, to fuel, to energize and allow you to maximize your God-given abilities for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, this passage that we've been studying in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, if you're taking notes at home, and I pray that you are wherever you're listening to this, I hope you're not taking notes if you're driving, but maybe some mental notes. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 7, is the most respected part of, of our New Testament. And what does it say? I want to read it to you. The Apostle Paul is the author, and he says, and listen to this language. This is called the Kirgama, the preaching, the original tradition that many New Testament scholars, we believe that this goes back to within weeks of the resurrection event itself. Here's what Paul writes, and listen closely to his words. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Now we talked about that in the in the mo in a segment previous. 
Paul is saying, it doesn't matter anything else that I've written. This is the most important thing. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. By the way, underline that on the third day. If the early church had a hashtag, that would have been the church's hashtag, on the third day. I mean, this, is, this was constantly in the mind, the hearts, and the mouths of the early church on the third day. Hashtag on the third day, Jesus was resurrected. Verse 5, in that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, meaning you can test me against this. You can test this against history. Go talk to him. But some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, oh, this is powerful. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Now, I want to just set the tone for a minute because sometimes if we're not careful Bible students, we read a passage like that and because of either our, we're just simply unaware or because of our historical distance, we don't allow it, the power of it to set in. I want you to focus for one second on verse 7. Then he appeared to James. Do you remember what John chapter 7 verse 5 says? Not even his brothers believed in him. In fact, if you read it in its full context, it almost sounds like Jesus' entire family, except for his mother Mary, guess what? They were kind of embarrassed by big brother Jesus. I mean, and why wouldn't they be? Let me ask you this for a second, and I don't mean this with any hint of sacrilege. What would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God? <laughs> Every time I share this with a live audience, there is always immediate laughter. I mean, keep in mind, there is a very human element to this messianic story. Yes, it is historical, but it doesn't divorce some of the awkwardness of it. I mean, these guys, after all, had to believe that their brother was the son of God. Think about that for a moment. And guess what? They didn't. In Mark chapter 3, in another passage... The force of the Greek is they're going to arrest Jesus. They want to literally take him captive away from the crowds. They want to save him from himself, for he is, quote, out of his mind. What changed, my friends? I can see it in my mind's eye. Can you? James is continuing the family trade. They were builders, carpenters. Jesus wasn't a peasant. He was a middle-class guy. He had a job. He was a carpenter. And there's Brother James continuing the effort. He's hammering away in his workshop. And all of a sudden, Brother Jesus appears to him physically in the flesh, resurrected. And can you see it in your mind's eye? And he goes, bro, bro, check it out. It's really me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Put your hands at my side. Oh, yeah, check it out. Check out my hands, nail-pierced hands. And in that moment, James goes from being humiliated by brother Jesus to being willing to die. And in fact, he does in AD 62. I'll share a little bit in a moment. James goes from being a skeptic to being an ardent follower of Jesus. Why? Because of the evidence of the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus he saw Jesus. He touched him. And Galatians says that James, who was not a Christian, 
even though he grew up with Jesus, before the resurrection, Paul calls him a pillar of the church. And we know, historically speaking, that James was the first megachurch pastor because he pastored the church at Jerusalem before the diaspora, before the great persecutions broke out. And friends, this was a church of thousands. Now, sure, they probably gathered together in, a, in much like a coordinated cell group effort. Um, but without a doubt, James is a pillar of the church. He is stoned to death in AD 62. And I don't know that because the Bible tells me that. I know that because the historian Josephus mentions it. This man was so prominent in his love for his brother, Jesus Christ, who he saw as the Messianic Messiah, that he is willing to die for his faith, believing that. Now, let's just pause for a moment. Uh, at the time of the recording of this broadcast, even if you're listening to it months later, we're celebrating the holidays. And let's face it, it is a challenge to be around our family who are not believers, and we pray for them. And I can tell you this as a New Testament scholar, as a Bible scholar, as someone who goes around speaking, it can be, I have some of my most challenging faith dialogue with my own family. So, uh, so often I think that's true with many of you who are listening to this. And it was true in the life of Jesus too. And yet James is willing to die because of the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And he dies believing Jesus is the Messiah. Please let that sink in for a moment. Please don't let that go by too quickly. So we have a hostile person and james is hostile he doesn't believe jesus is he's embarrassed by jesus thinks he's out of his mind and then we have the apostle paul who is known as saul why does he become a christian he sees the resurrected messiah on the way to the on the road to damascus who are you lord he says he sees jesus in all of his fullness his splendor his power and there we have a second hostile skeptical disciple and so Wherever you're at, or perhaps it's not you, perhaps you're, you're fully on board, you're following Jesus, perhaps it's a family member or a relative. This is why I believe this program is so important in your life. I want us to continue to, I pray, equip you with the evidences for the faith. Because, yes, we can talk a lot about how great it is to worship God with our heart, soul, and mind, but we have to be able to give evidential answers to why we believe Jesus physically bodily rose from the grave. It's the same thing that I did with the New York Times reporter who contacted me. And if you would have told me when I was studying a Ph.D. Uh, in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus that someday I'd be talking to a New York Times obituary writer who would write a story that would be carried in Vanity Fair, I would have thought there's no way that would happen. And yet these things are relevant. Our faith is relevant. People want to know what can we trust, who can we trust, can we trust Jesus Christ. You can today. Let the power of the resurrection fuel you this Christmas season or whenever you're participating with this broadcast to be bold for your faith, to actually know some of the evidences. You don't have to know it all, but let's know the important facts. And guess what? There is nothing more important than the resurrection. And so please listen to this broadcast again. Read 1 Corinthians 15. Those are some immediate action points especially verses 3 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 15. There is no text taken more seriously by Bible scholars than 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7. This has been a power teaching segment on body of proof, evidence for the bodily resurrection. I'm going to be back in 90 seconds with some final thoughts. Stay with us. This is Faith Radio Network, the Jeremiah Johnston Show.
uh, friends, welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show and wishing a Merry Christmas to everyone listening across the Faith Radio Network and just the hundreds and thousands of you that listen to the podcast later. Uh, I'm celebrating how the Holy Spirit just continues to use the Unanswered series, which was published by Lifeway Christian Publishing. And I have joining us from Franklin, Tennessee today, Brian Daniel, who uh, for 20 years has been involved in publishing. He's now giving leadership to a feature film with Fathom Events. Uh, he's joining us from Nashville, and Brian, um, I just I laugh about this because, uh, and maybe I shouldn't. I guess you have to laugh and so you don't cry. But um, I am a Bible exegete. I'm a Bible scholar, and we've all been there, haven't we? We've been in Bible studies that have been transformational, and we've also been in Bible studies that just did not really go so well. And I don't even know if you could call it a Bible study because. As I say when I teach, you know, it's not hard to do heresy. In fact, it happens in churches every Sunday. All I need is the Bible in no context or Jesus in no context. And the Bible st- the wheels fall off of the Bible study very quickly. What I love about you is you have designed this amazing way to study the Bible word for word, exegetically, to study it inductively, but then to draw out those timeless practical principles. But I just wanted to ask you to share with our audience, uh, what's the best Bible study you've been part of, or I guess what's the formula for that, if it's maybe not one in particular for those that are listening. We have a lot of pastors who listen. And then maybe you can also share with us maybe perhaps the worst Bible study uh, you've personally experienced and maybe how that's been formative in the leadership you give to so many of us now. Wow, yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to Bible study leadership, so much of it is dependent upon the leader. And the leader, you know, and this is a surprise to a lot of people, the leader doesn't necessarily have to be like a, an Oxford scholar like you are. In fact, sometimes that's the last thing a leader needs to be because right. you've got a lot of people in the room that are not that. And not only that, but they just want to know, you know, how do I how do I deal with this child? You know, how do I lean on? How do I lean on the Holy Spirit during a financial crisis? How do yes. I get to church with a worshipful heart um, when I've got a child that, I, you know, a teenager that I'm just really struggling with, and it was just everything in me to get here this morning or to get to group tonight? So I would say, you know, in terms of best and worst, let me start with – let me just go with, like, worst experience. Okay. I would say um, I have been a part of a group before, um, you know, and I think I think a part of leadership is being a good group member. Yes. So I haven't always been a group leader. I am now, but you know, there are periods of our lives when we needed maybe more attention to family and the children, uh, just to be sure we were getting things done right there. And in those times, it's okay not to be a leader and let someone else do it, but you do mm-hmm. need to be a group member. So it hasn't been that long ago when I was a group member and. The leader honestly just showed no intentionality. Um, you know, you've got people. Karen and I are part of an off-campus group. We meet on Wednesday night. You know, and you, you and should be not to interrupt you, Brian, but you're an elder in your church. I should mention at Grace Church, right outside of Hendersonville, right? That's correct. That's correct. So you should be flattered that people show up to your house on Wednesday mm-hmm. night. You know, that should be something that you don't take lightly. That they're coming. I mean, we all know how busy we are and our, how full our calendars are so that someone would, would take the time and drive to your house and be with you should not be taken for granted. So I just feel like if that's going to happen, go do the preparation. Yes. Be familiar with the material. Know where you're wanting to take this group or where you feel like God wants you to take the group. 
Jeremiah, a lot can be forgiven in group life. You know, mm. no one really expects perfection, but they expect hospitality, they expect warmth, and they expect some measure of preparation so that at least show that you, you care that I'm given this time. Mm. So I would think that's a part of, that's you know, in terms of worst experience, I've been a part of a group, but I didn't think that was necessarily there. And then uh, there's always, and there's so there's so many anecdotes about, like, group members and, and things taking, you know, you hear these horror stories about people not leaving the group leader's house till like, 11 o'clock at night, and <laughs> it's really hard to, you know, and it's like, guys, i got to get up in the morning. Seriously, I have a job other than That's group right. leader. <laughs> so um, we, we had, uh, you know, we had, you get to that moment of the prayer request, and there's almost this cringe factor because you know there's this one group member. And, yeah. and you know we believe in prayer, but there is a way to do that, and there's maybe a way not to. And that request is just going to be dominated by one person. So those are just some things that I remember. In terms of the best Bible study experience, you know, recently we did a, uh, a Bible study on prayer. Uh, you probably mm-hmm. know Dr. D.A. Carson. Yes. And uh, praying with Paul is the study. We used the LifeWay version, and then I kind of adapted it to fit our group needs, which is something that kind of fits into that intentionality. And I think it was eight different small group meetings, and we just looked at the prayers of Paul. And there were uh, – I think prayer is one of those things, hopefully you agree, that if we talk a lot about it, we tell people we're going to do it, we mm-hmm. ask for it. When it comes down to the discipline of prayer, I think there's not a lot of people that, that really uh, – are fully bought into that as a part of their life as a disciple. And it's not because they don't want to. It's not because it's not well-intentioned. It's because they just don't know how. That's right. So we committed to this study over eight weeks, and uh, I thought it would be good just to look at models from one of the, you know, if not the disciple-maker other than Jesus that we have in the Bible. So we're looking at the prayers of Paul. So that's one that we've done recently that I felt really good about. And uh, I feel like Dr. Carson was really strong as a teacher. Those videos are like, 12 to 15 minutes, so you know it's just long enough. I think in group life you can get to the point to where it's it feels a little long, and um, and that was that was a really good experience and one that I would recommend. Friends, if you're just joining us, I'm talking to my good friend Brian Daniel. I want to encourage you to follow him on Twitter and Instagram. It's B C Daniel. That's at BC Daniel, or you can find him over on Facebook at Brian Daniel from Nashville, Tennessee, working at Lifeway Publishing. Um, and the only thing, only footnote I would add, Brian, I was I learned this. Uh, I actually did a Bible study in Southern California at Fred and Susie Weba's house, good friends of mine, and I learned something from Fred. Okay, <laughs> how do you get people out of your house when the Bible study is over, but you have that one hanger on her, and God bless him or her. Uh, yeah. Fred stood up. I, I love this. So now I just take a page out of his book, and he started walking around the home right during the most important part, or maybe a few minutes later, and he just started shutting off lights all over his house. And sooner or later, it got to the point where the only light on was the light in the room we were meeting, and then that light was turned off, and there was just lamps left. So everyone got the message, it's time to leave. So if that helps any yeah. Bible study teacher out there, just use the lights out method, please. That, that is a huge help. Uh, and, Brian, I want to ask you just a, a quick mention. I've, some people have probably been wondering, where can they get that Bible study on prayer? Can they get that at LifeWay.com? You can, LifeWay.com, and uh, I would think any LifeWay Christian store would have it as well. 
Brian, thank you so much for those answers. We've got to take a 90-second break, but when we come back on the other side, I'm going to be discussing how Brian came to this role at Lifeway where he gives leaderships to these Bible studies that are literally used by millions of people. I want to hear more from his testimony. And then if we have time, I also want to ask him about Bible Studies for Life, another Bible study line he gives leadership to that's used by, are you ready for this, 98,000 groups. You're listening to The Jeremiah Johnston Show, the show that inspires you to love God with your heart, soul, and mind, encourages you that no question is a sin, and God is a big boy. He can take your most difficult questions. So stay with us back in 90 seconds. And welcome back. This is your host, Jeremiah Johnston. I want to thank Brian Daniel again for joining us from Lifeway Christian Resources. And isn't that interesting and fascinating to uh, hear from Brian, who's been a key architect on so many Bible studies uh, with so many Bible teachers that we know and love. I've been so appreciated him being so transparent about what makes for great Bible study. Now, I, I haven't said anything about this the entire broadcast. And before I forget, I just want to remind you that you can buy the unanswered Bible study for your group, for your church, for your small group, for your youth group, for your women's group, for your adult Sunday school Bible study. Um, just last night, I was at a, another church um, leading them and kicking them off in an unanswered Bible study. And so I want to encourage you with how to do that. You can go to the Christian Thinker Society website. That's www.christianthinkers.com. That has an S on the end, christianthinkers.com. Just click on our books and resources section, and it actually comes in a Bible study kit. It's a really cool box, and inside that box are all of the DVDs where I teach through all of the chapters of the unanswered questions. Now, we filmed this at the Lanier Theological Library, which is in northwestern, northwest Houston, when you see the preview, and you can see it on our YouTube channel, it looks like we filmed each of these Bible study segments in Oxford or Cambridge, England. I'm not kidding. Uh, but there's a phenomenal Christian brother by the name of Mark Lanier in northwest Houston. And he turned his backyard into this theological library. Even We even filmed in the church. Actually, the, the portion on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus is a church that is a, it's a replica of a Byzantine church from Cappadocia, Turkey. It's the shape of the cross. There are no restrooms. I mean, it's an identical uh, from, the, from the Byzantine era. So it's, just, so it's a perfect atmosphere for me to teach through all of these unanswered questions. And that's what's in the kit. So there, all the DVDs are there. And then the unanswered book is there. And then the Bible study book is there as well. As Brian mentioned... The Bible study has daily personal time. So it's not just a group facilitation Bible study. There's day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, all the way through six weeks. So uh, it's a phenomenal way for you to live in those unanswered questions and then find the answers and then study the biblical text, the context, and then all of the application for those answers for each of the unanswered chapters. And so I want to encourage you to get that kit. Again, we did it in partnership with Lifeway. You've just heard literally uh, that we've just scratched the surface on it uh, in this broadcast. Um, so that's, again, at ChristianThinkers.com. Or you can go to the Lifeway website or your local Lifeway store, of course, as well. It's available there. You can buy it on Amazon, uh, the book itself. But the kit is better to get through Christian Thinker Society 
uh, or through Lifeway. We have discount priced it for churches and for Bible study groups. So check that out, either ChristianThinkers.com or Lifeway.com slash unanswered. I want to also encourage you to continue to submit your questions to us at the broadcast. How do you do that? You go to www.askjjj.com. That's askjjj.com. What's really cool about Faith Radio Network is I'm receiving questions from people literally all over America. Um, yes, there are nearly 20, I think, stations uh, included in the Faith Radio Network of fa- family of networks. Um, but at the same time, thousands of people have downloaded the Faith Radio app who are out of market, and so they're submitting their questions as well. So please continue to do that. And, of course, subscribe to our podcast. And I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas season, and I pray that you will be a voice of hope for those around you who are searching for Jesus and the hope that he offers. Don't forget, I leave you with what Galatians 4 says, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. He came at the perfect moment. So I pray that you will be celebrating that in special, memorable ways. It's been another broadcast. Thanks for joining us on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. We'll see you next week as we continue our Unanswered series. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play, RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.